Welcome to this podcast from St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope you consider hitting like or subscribe. We hope you will share this audio with your friends and neighbors. Help others know about our inclusive, theologically progressive community of faith. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can make a gift at stmichaelsabq.org. In the name of Jesus, our true mother. Amen. Please be seated. We're late to the party this morning. For the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, last week, Tuesday, December 12th, millions descended on the shrine in Tepeyac, just a little north of downtown Mexico City. As you enter the basilica, there's a priest waiting outside for you. If you've been there, you know this. And the setup looks a little bit like an animal exhibit in a modern zoo, I have to confess. And the clergy member is not behind a cage, but there's a moat that separates the priest and the people, like in a modern zoo. And the priest, though, holds this broom of sorts, which is dipped into the water and is used then to bless the people, to asperge them and their outstretched icons and images of the Virgin. I confess, when I saw the setup, I was a little jealous. I thought, what a nice way to spend your afternoons as a priest, throwing holy water at people. Something of my inner toddler was was there, right? But above the priest and the moat of holy water is a big sign that reads, Bendiciones, blessings. Now, if you grew up in a tradition that taught you that images were suspicious, you might find today questionable. If you grew up in a tradition where the Virgin of Guadalupe was on your mantelpiece at home or in your church that you grew up in, you may be used to being surrounded by people who have questions about Our Lady of Guadalupe. Questions are good. This is a church where you can lean into the questions that lead you deeper into the mystery of God. And this morning, I'm going to voice one controversial question for you. It's a question that comes with a lot of my own white Anglo-Saxon Protestant baggage. It's this. Is celebrating the Virgin of Guadalupe idolatry? Now, I won't ask for a show of hands. But I would imagine that some of us are holding on to at least a little bit of that question today. So let me go to a trusted source. The Latine theologian Orlando Espin says that we often confuse the idea of an idol and an image. Throughout Christian history, there have been moments and movements seeking to tear down all of the images within churches. And there can be something powerful in that kind of iconoclasm. It can be powerful to tear down the old images to God, of God, to strike out the masculine, white, domineering understandings we've inherited. But an image, according to Orlando Espin, is not on its own automatically an idol. After all, we Episcopalians love our stained glass. We're comfortable even with certain statues of biblical figures In a few days, that nativity scene there will be filled with little statues. Most of us at home have our own crash. So an image is not automatically an idol. Golden cows aren't even a problem until they become a substitute for God. 
What makes an idol an idol is when it purports to stand in for God. The theologian spells this out a little bit more, saying that we, when we try to make any one image absolute, when we try and say we have the definitive picture of what God is like, that is when we are treading on idolatrous ground. Professor Espine then flips the script on idolatry, doesn't he? If this or that particular image offends or upsets you because you feel it can't be of God, there may be an invitation. You may be holding too tightly onto your own image of what God must look like. How many of us have certain musts when it comes to faith or religion or the celebration of Christmas. It must happen this particular way. Watch out. When there is no room for mystery, when there is no room for wonder, when there is no room for surprise, when there is no room for God to show up in the unexpected, that is when you are in danger of idolatry. The stakes can be high, The icon of Our Lady of Guadalupe that you see before you was written by an iconographer named Kelly Lattimore. At my previous church, we had another icon of Kelly's, which he named Mama. There's a copy hanging right now on the wall of the pavilion here. You can visit after the service if you'd like. Mama is a pieta, an image of Mary holding the body of Jesus. And Kelly wrote Mama after the death of George Floyd. Mama was one of Floyd's last words. When images of Mama went up online, Kelly Lattimore received death threats from his fellow Christians. Jesus looked too much like George Floyd in the image, according to the detractors. A group of traditionalists called Mama idolatry. And the theologian Orlando Espin would say, hold on. What makes an idol an idol is that it limits your perspective on the divine. What is idolatrous then is not representing Jesus as a black man. Idolatry is being so attached to European colonial images of God that you can't see Jesus in another face. An image can be an idol or it can be an icon. The difference between an idol and an icon is how we hold the image. Idols simplify. Icons complexify. Idols are held tightly. Idolatry is about control, fencing, building walls around what we think is God's. Icons do the opposite. They ask us to open our minds and our hearts. An icon helps us to see God in unexpected places, in unanticipated faces. As we read in today's gospel, the people have many questions for John the Baptist. He points again and again beyond himself. It isn't me you're looking for, he says. It's a bit like the Zen Buddhist teaching. He says, I am just the finger pointing toward the moon. Don't confuse the finger and the moon. What John gets right is to point out beyond himself. In that way, he is an icon of what is to come. So what of Our Lady of Guadalupe? 
What I find so compelling about the Virgin of Guadalupe and about the story that we just heard is all of the unexpected in the story. She appears not to the bishop in his grand cathedral, as we might expect, but to Juan Diego, the poor Indian peasant on a hillside where the moon goddess once was worshipped. She does not look like the merry images that the conquistadores brought with them. Guadalupe incorporates imagery from the Aztec. She is La Morenita. She has dark skin. She looks like an indigenous woman. Though the Christian faith was brought to his people at the tip of a sword, Juan Diego encounters the mothering love of God speaking to him on the hillside. Jesus' mother assures him and his people she is their mother too. In that way, Guadalupe did more to convert the indigenous peoples of Mexico than a thousand Franciscan friars. Because she assured, God's love is for you too. The Virgin of Guadalupe is a story which points us back to the wider divine story. We know that Jesus was often criticized by the powerful, by religious authorities, for sharing his table with all the wrong people. Jesus spent too much time in their minds with the poor, with those of ill repute, with those the world ignored. In the story we tell next week, God is born not in a palace surrounded by servants and guards. God is born in the antic outpost of empire among shepherds and livestock. Mary herself sang, the mighty are cast down from their thrones. God lifts up the poor and the needy. God often chooses those on the edges to be the center of divine action. And so this third Sunday of Advent, just a week before Christmas Eve, if you're feeling edgy, watch out. That's when God shows up. When it was time for the Mexican people to claim their independence from colonial Spain, Padre Hidalgo chose the Virgin of Guadalupe as his banner. She is a sign of God's vision that uh, that who we are is bigger than our national identities or oppressive regimes. And the Virgin of Guadalupe continues to show up in unexpected places, on belt buckles, cowboy hats, the wall over there, stained glass. I recently found a magnet in Old Town that I just had to purchase for our fridge. You should know about your new rector. I am a sucker for cheeky religious humor. And this magnet said, in Wad we trust, in G-U-A-D we trust. That was great. The Virgin of Guadalupe shows up in all sorts of unexpected places to help us to know that we do not have control over God, over where God resides. A friend in seminary once shared a story of the leader of a Sufi Muslim movement, Sheikh Nur al-Jarahi, also known as Lex Hickson. He was called to found a new branch of Sufi dervishes in the United States. But before he could begin, he made pilgrimage to the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe because she represented for him the spiritual protector of the Americas. Hickson had studied with the Lakota Sioux teachers as well, 
And the idea of honoring the land and the ancestors may have played a role in his pilgrimage. Still, it was only after praying at Guadalupe Shrine that he felt he could begin this new spiritual work on this continent. Our Lady of Guadalupe defies even our religious categories. The image of Our Lady of Guadalupe can be an icon. If she helps us to expand, if she helps us to see the ways that God nurtures and protects us all, La Virgen de Guadalupe tells us God is with us. God cares for us as a mother. And God knows that we Christians need more images of the divine feminine. God nurtures and does not abandon. Virgin of Guadalupe points us to the unexpected love of God. And deep down, how many of us still need to learn to expect God's love? Well, if you still have questions about the Virgin of Guadalupe, good. Lean into them. At its best, I think our faith invites us to wrestle with questions, to see more mystery, not less. I'll finish with a personal story. We visited the shrine first back in 2019, and while my first impression was jealousy of the priest on exhibit throwing the holy water, my last impression was of the wind. The modern basilica where the original icon of the Virgin is held, it's huge. It's one of the largest religious spaces in the world. And most days it is open to the elements. A warm breeze blew through the main entryway as I stood and I prayed. Just a few days earlier, Ellis and I had learned that we were gonna interview to adopt a nine-month-old little boy. We didn't know for sure at the time, but we were in the first steps of becoming Silas's parents. And standing there in the basilica on the precipice of the hill of Tepeyac, the warm air had a life of its own. That wind whipped through the basilica, through the entryway, through the plaza. It felt like a vibrant wind of change. And somehow in that warm breeze, I also found assurance that God would be with me would be with us in the unknown steps ahead. In all of the unexpected, we would be nurtured, cared for, loved. Bendiciones, indeed. Amen. <laughs>